Joining us now is a philosophy lecturer at the University of Otago. Associate Professor Zach Weber is with me now to unpack the seemingly simple question, what is logic? Hi, Dr Weber. Hello. How are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? Well, I'm not too bad. So let's start there. What is logic? All right. Um, well, logic can mean a whole lot of different things. Right? Logic is about reasoning well. People want to start with things that they know and get to other things that seem true on the basis of those. Um, so what logic is is an attempt to kind of make that more scientific and give a theory of what reasoning is good and what reasoning is bad so that we can kind of have a better idea of what uh, how ideas hang together and then um, be able to say, you know, when, when somebody's making sense and when they're not in, in a more objective way than to just say, oh, that doesn't make sense or that does make sense. So is logic innate or taught? Well, uh, I think we all have some kind of clear idea of when things, when some things seem absolutely right, right? So if somebody says, um, you know, if the sun is out, then it's daytime, um, then that just seems true. And if somebody wanted to disagree with that, they must just be making some kind of mistake. So maybe that means there's something innate about it. But um, if it was completely innate, we wouldn't need to teach logic at university, right, or give, give a system of rules to try to make sense of it. Uh, so actually most people are pretty bad at logical reasoning when it comes down to it. They're, they did some psychology experiments in the 1960s called the Wasson Selection Task, uh, where they just tried to give people basic logic tests, and something like 10% of people uh, did well on it and everybody else didn't. Um, so logic seems to be the sort of thing that doesn't come all that naturally to humans, which is why it's especially important to try to get a, a decent working theory of it. And um, these days, logic is looking more and more kind of mathematical, um, but that doesn't mean that we can't can't use it to just try to make some sense of our lives. Well, that's a good point there, just to segue into a question that's come through from Simon in Auckland via a text. What mechanism, Simon asks, can be applied to trigger logical thought when a person is consumed and overwhelmed by a fraught emotional state? That's a really good question. Um, I mean, so logic is supposed to be there to help you in some sense when everything else fails, right? You're supposed to be able to step back and assess the situation kind of coolly um, and calmly. Um, in terms of actually how to how to do that, I mean, I think there are people you could ask who know better than me about, uh, you know, how to collect your thoughts in a calm kind of way. Um, but having logic there in the background to know that there's a system of rules that you could fall back on to make sense of things when things don't seem like they do make sense um, in itself can be kind of comforting. Um, you know, that said, logic is is in a sense not psychology. So for a long time, it was thought of as tied up with psychology. But giving, giving an account of how people go about actually reasoning is really interesting, but it's something psychologists do. And what philosophers like me would be more interested is in saying, how should people reason? Um, almost like a, a branch of ethics. Uh, so what what are the principles that you really ought to try to follow, even though actually when it comes down to it in real life, it's sometimes pretty hard to follow those things. Uh, so to answer Simon's question, I, w I would say take a deep breath and um, 
go from there. So as a philosopher and keeping that focus, what is logic for? I know you touched on it earlier, but let's go a bit deeper and perhaps we can also include the history of logic. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, so the textbook that I teach logic out of, it's called The Laws of Truth, like that it's supposed to be telling us um, the, the ultimate laws of how truth is supposed to hang together. But the, the real purposes of it are a little bit more on the ground from that. Um, so logic, at least in the Western tradition, and there have been people who study logic all over the world going back uh, thousands of years, but at least in the Western tradition, uh, we trace it back to Aristotle in ancient Greece. And at that time, there were these people around called the sophists who were making these sort of trick arguments that um, Aristotle could tell there was something wrong with it, but he wanted kind of a precise, no-fail, objective way to say what was wrong with the sophistical arguments he was facing. So he came up with this set of rules that he said any decent kind of reasoning needs to follow, and if it doesn't follow those, then it's no good. And that was, that was really the original purpose of logic, was to be some kind of uh, tool of criticism or to make sure, to make sure you don't get tricked. Uh, and then, really, Aristotle's theory, at least in the in the European tradition, in the Western tradition, was the word on the subject for a long, long time, um, really until the, the 1800s, when in mathematics, uh, mathematicians were starting to work with the calculus that you might learn in school, and they could tell that calculus worked really well, but they also could tell that they didn't really have a good understanding of why it was working so well, and they could tell that um, various proofs in mathematics um, might have some gaps in them. So mathematicians got really interested in going back through and making sure that their mathematical proofs didn't have any gaps. So logic was really shored up around 1900 for that kind of purpose, um, you know, to make sure that nothing, nothing sneaks through, so to speak, in our reasoning, and that we, when you get to the end of a chain of reasoning that you can be pretty sure that it's right. So interesting. I've got a te- uh, an email here. This is from Jessamine in Invercargill. She says that she likes to think of herself as a logical person, but when uh, she looks at philosophical logic, it seems really abstract to her, almost like maths. I wonder if Associate Professor Weber would comment on practical applications of philosophical logic in everyday life. She's keen to implement more, not just feel like a logical person. <laughs> uh, thanks for the question. I, I want to feel like a logical person, uh, too. I mean, so you're absolutely right that when you actually look at what philosophers these days, and logic is studied by um, philosophers and linguists and computer scientists, and mathematicians, and it definitely does look almost like algebra, um, and that's pretty much on purpose because the people who are designing it want it to be like algebra, where you can just kind of compute with it. But that also ends up making it look really abstract and kind of far away from maybe what you were originally worrying about. It's what makes it really powerful, right? Because algebra, if you just use X's and Y's, then you can fill in anything for those and get the right answer. Um, so logic it's abstract, but the abstraction is what gives it its power. It's sort of, it's not about anything, so it can be about everything, which which is what I like about it. Um, but, you know, then it, when it comes down to real life, um, you can use it in, 
in really basic sort of ways, right? So you could say, well, look, if, if it rains, then the streets would be wet, and the streets are wet, so does that tell me that it rained? Well, like, not necessarily. Like, something else, something else could have made the streets wet. So I shouldn't jump to the conclusion that it was the rain. Maybe, maybe there's a leak. There is a leak at the top of my driveway, actually, that uh, sometimes gets it wet. So you can, you can use logic in kind of basic ways, but it's, it's studied at a fairly theoretical level, which does take some working up to. Um, I would say that it's, it's worth the effort, but there, there are little things you can learn along the way that can help you out with that. There's a wider area called critical thinking, or it's sometimes called informal logic, which is more about um, like distinguishing science from pseudoscience or identifying kind of tricks people use when they're trying to convince you of things like just saying, well, somebody, my doctor says so, or science says so. And you notice that when people say stuff like that, maybe they're just trying to to be rhetorically convincing. Uh, so critical thinking or informal logic identifies a lot of stuff like that, which can be really useful. We also teach that, um, but that is kind of a wider field than the kind of abstract formal logic that um, I'm kind of into myself. I got a sense of that, just a wee sense. But could, <laughs> could, we, could we come back a step, or at least I want to pick up on a point that you were making earlier, and we've just had a text in as well from Sue. Could you give some examples of the rules that you're referring to? Sure. I mean, so um, one one of the rules, might, the the best rule of logic is that. Um, so, am I allowed to use like variables? I don't. I don't want to be too abstract, right? So I don't know. Try. Let's see if I can follow you. And if if it all goes to custard, people are going to tell us on two one oh one, or they're going to email, and so we'll pull up. I don't oh, know. Go my, there. What What's wrong with talking my, about variables? Go on. <laughs> my favorite rule is when you say um, if if p then q and p. Therefore, Q. And you're allowed to put in for P and Q anything that you want. So, right, if the sun is out, then it's daytime, and the sun is out, so therefore it's daytime. Or if I'm hungry, I'll eat dinner, and I'm hungry, so therefore I'll eat dinner. Any, anything like that. Um, if it's that shape, right, logic is about trying to identify good shapes for arguments to be in. So if something's in that shape, and that shape, the Latin name for it is modus ponens, um, then you're, you're pretty much guaranteed... It'll it'll always work no matter what you put in for the P and the Q. So I I like modus ponens. I think um, there's very few things in this world we can be absolutely 100% dead certain of, but I I think that rule comes pretty close to meeting that standard. Any other rules? Well, there's a lot of them. Um, it's it's a little so logic is also kind of um, I like it because it's kind of visual, so you can look at the formulas, and I'm going to see in a picture form the way things are going. It's a little tough to do on radio, right? Um, so other, other rules could just be things like if P is true and Q is true, then P is true, right? So if two things are true, then you could just break one of them off and it's true. Like, these are extremely simple things, right? So if, if I'm hungry and I have some spaghetti, then I have some spaghetti. Um, that's, that's really simple, but you know that it's always going to work. And the idea is that you take these kind of simple rules and you click them together almost like Legos into bigger and bigger systems and eventually can um, discover things that you didn't know, um, starting from things you do know, and surprise yourself by getting to the end of a chain of reasoning. 
This seems like an obvious question, but I do want to ask it. Can people disagree about logic? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, so for a long time, um, in a sense, most philosophers would have told you that the answer is no, right? That logic is you know, the same as like saying one plus one equals two or something. And if somebody wants to disagree with you about that, they just must be out of their minds. Um, but I, I think there's a difference between, say, logic and theories of logic. So logic is the way ideas hang together. And then theories are our human imperfect attempt at trying to understand that. Um, kind of like the way the world is out there, and then we come up with a theory of physics to try to understand it, but we can disagree about different theories of physics, right? Different physicists disagree with each other sometimes. And in logic, people can disagree with each other sometimes about what the right theory of logic is. So actually, these days, there are a lot of different theories of logic, and they've been around for at least 100 years, um, and the people who disagree about them are completely sane and rational sort of people, and they're able to compare their different systems to each other and say, well, is that really a good rule um, or not? So in, in a sense, it kind of goes back to one of the questions you asked me before about whether logic is innate or whether it's taught. Like, we, we kind of, together, we take some guesses about which logical rules are good ones or valid ones, and then we test them out and argue with each other and disagree with each other, and through that kind of process of arguing and disagreeing, we kind of hope that we are getting closer to something that's right. So, so we kind of try to discover it by inventing it, if you like. I've got a couple of texts here that I'm going to endeavour to read. I'm glad people are interested in texting about this. It appears so, it appears so. Now, here we go. I'm a colleague of your guest, so I feel this is unfair, but is the cat inside the box or not? If the box belonged to Theseus, would it be a brand new cat? (laughs) Um, I'm lost, so I just think that might be a punchline, but I don't know. I wanted to hear if you had something to say, if I'd missed something. I think so. I think logicians are known for making some of the worst jokes that uh, any people on earth make sometimes. I've been to some conferences with some good ones. So I'm, I'm not sure about the cat and sees the ship. I'll have to talk to my colleague about that one. Well played. So a question here. Does that mean there are different types of logic or is there just one logic? Yeah, so so the view that there's just one logic is definitely the traditional one, and that's called logical monism, like there's just mono, a single one. Um, but that, that view has increasingly gone out of fashion these days, um, or in a lot of quarters at least. There's a, an increasing view among people that there's something called logical pluralism, that there's this plurality of logics, and that idea is even a little bit stronger than saying people can disagree about logic, because they definitely do disagree about logic, so that's just the way it is. But logical pluralism kind of suggests that there might even be more than one correct logic or useful logic at the same time. So that's almost saying there's different systems of logic, and we don't even need to sort out which one is right, because in some sense more than one of them can be right. And that's that's a pretty new and strong idea, but it's gained uh, a lot of ground in the last... 20 years or so um, in some of these discussions, and we'll see where it goes.
Well, this brings us to my final question, and thank you so much for answering these questions. What is the future for logic? What problems might it help us with? Yeah. Well, so, I mean, one going back to one of your um, listeners' questions, um, I mean, logic really can help with very basic things. So, like, in, every, in politics, um, I notice oftentimes people use the, uh, what I call, like, a what-about argument. So that's when somebody, you get accused of something and you say, but what about, like, so, for example, um, Russia might defend its invasion of Ukraine by saying, but, but what about when the United States in, invaded Iraq? And that's true. It was bad when the United States invaded Iraq. But um, you notice that if they're saying that, then they're already admitting that they're doing something wrong, right? So pointing out that somebody else also did something wrong actually does nothing to relieve you of the fact that you did something wrong. So being like starting to notice things like that, and once you notice things like that, there's a pattern to it. So any... Right, the Russia example is just one example, and once you notice the pattern, you start to see it quite a lot. Uh, so I think that's quite useful. Um, kind of beyond that, going to the more mathematical, abstracty kind of end of things, I mean, I'm optimistic that these different systems of logic that people have been arguing about and talking about in the last 20 years or so, this logical pluralism idea, I hope that it can help with some of the things that logic has helped with a lot in the past, particularly uh, in the theory of computation. So computers that we have all around us these days originally came from studies in just pure logic. Um, and computers are really useful, and sometimes they're pretty infuriating, and there's ways computers could definitely be improved. Um, there's questions computers can't currently answer, and I'd like to see if in the future um, some of these different systems of logic that haven't been investigated so much could help us more make sense of those. Um, some, of these, some of these bigger systems of logic, they can deal with types of information that standard logic doesn't do so well, so, so incomplete or inconsistent kind of information or vague information. And it seems to me real life is constantly inconsistent and incomplete and vague. So uh, logics that are, are well-suited to deal with those things, um, I hope, really can help us uh, make sense of where we are and uh, hopefully understand the world we live in better. Zach Weber, thank you very much for your time tonight. Great conversation about logic. Thank you. My pleasure.